This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Asha Torah, overlooking the Temple Mount. Just wondering if you can hear me from the microphone over here. You hear the microphone? I'm tapping it. Oh, great. Tell me if you want me to tap it in the future. I can tap it anytime. And let me make a bracha on my water. Boch ata adonai. All right. Um, so, um, just uh, please, if you're if you're watching this on Facebook, uh, share it. If you're watching it on and like it, obviously, and you can get it to land every time I go live. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. And if you're watching this or listening on Torney Time, subscribe as well. And, uh, and if you're interested in more people hearing these words, join the media club, yomtovmediaclub.com. Yomtovmediaclub.com. Um, here we go. So, so we're holding right now in the nine days. And uh, these are the nine days before the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem, which is you know, literally right outside this window. You can see the destruction of it. And, uh, and we're in a particularly broken state right now. We're in a broken state. And, and not all of you are necessarily feeling so broken, which is really good because I mean, I spend my, the majority of my life not in a broken state. But I help a lot of people in a broken state and I want them not to be in a broken state. And I do my best to keep people from being broken. And I've uh, kind of become an expert in helping people <coughs> repair themselves. But today we're going to talk a little more about embracing brokenness because the because in in a way we really are quite broken and and it's um, and it's a time to be aware of that and to be acutely con- acutely um, present to just how broken we are um, and perhaps one of the best ways to do that is to go through the priority list of God you know God has a priority list there's a priority list of God. Yeah, it's a. Uh, um, you mind grabbing me that sitter up there, uh, right there? There's a art school sitter, right there. So you'll see there's a priority list. It's the brown one. There. There's a priority list that that God feels are, you know, top priorities, and we actually repeat this list three times a day, and and I think you'll get a sense of how broken we are if you just hear the list real quick. <laughs> I know a lot of you didn't want to come in here and find out how broken you are. Which is, you know, tough luck. You know, it's like, get into the times. You know, literally right behind me, 200 yards behind me. I would show you, but I think I would, the cable would come out of the wall that's keeping this phone going, um, is the Temple Mount. And um, it's broken. And the Jewish people are, are extremely broken. I mean, we're extremely broken, like embarrassingly broken. I mean, I... I I have to say that I spend a lot of my time a bit humiliated, humiliated as a Jewish person. Um, like just for a, just a random example is politically. Politically, um, the state of Israel has been, you know, built by secular people who are not interested in God, not interested in Torah, not interested in value systems that are eternal. They're not interested in any of that stuff. They're they're really quite socialist and. And uh, kind of atheist by nature, and 
um, you know, that, that's who founded this place, that's who built this place, that's who runs this place. I mean, that's, that's what's going on. Now, that's a good example of broken, right? That's pretty broken to, to, have, to have that be our situation. Um, does that mean we, don't, we don't, don't have gratitude? What do you think, gratitude or no gratitude? Everyone say gratitude on three. One, two, three. Gratitude. gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude comes into play here. We've got highways. We've got hospitals. We've got the army, you know, defending. The, there's uh, all, even the, the, the people you'd call kooks in the government have dedicated their entire lives to the continuity of our people. And, and even though you probably think they're all, like, always bending over for Western allies, you know, you know, meaning you, you sense they have no spine. But uh, you should know if there was an existential threat, they would just say to hell with uh, America. Literally, they would just say to hell with America. If we had an existential threat and U.S., France, Britain, or any of uh, those other allies out there um, wanted us to kind of lay down and die, even the biggest yellow-bellied Israeli leaders, which is all of them, would suddenly their belly would switch colors, and they would they would fight like like lions, and we ruthlessly too, and they would even preempt it. They would even preempt it without even they wouldn't wait around for the existential threat to send its first threat. They would they would actually just get the job done and let America you know work it out, work out the aftermath. So. So, so again, they are wimps. And how do we know they're wimps? Who can give me the biggest example of what wimps our government are? No, no takers? Come on. It's like the most obvious thing in the world. You have to remove the board and the wall behind me. And know. How do you see what wimps our government are? Imagine your local shul. Imagine your local shul gets, God forbid, burned down by arsons, arsonists, and and you're like, you're, yeah, you're, you put together a whole fund, and you're, you're going to rebuild the shul, we're going to make it even nicer, we're going to like do this whole thing, and then the local city government official comes to your door and says, uh, we decided that uh, we're not rebuilding your synagogue, like you can't rebuild your synagogue, you got to just leave it, leave it like that. You just got to leave it. You're like, it's the synagogue of the city. Like, there's a, the Jewish people's place of prayer. What do you mean we're just going to leave it? We, you, you don't just leave it. You can't leave it. You got to build it. And you'd never, no one would ever consider that even remotely normal. And this is just being citizens of a Gentile city. But here we are, citizens of a Jewish state with a Jewish government and a Jewish army. And... We leave our Temple Mount in ruins. And we have a mitzvah every single day to rebuild it. Every single day. According to the Rambam, we are supposed to be heading over there with hammers and nails and saws and drills. And, and uh, you should be like, you should have like a bunch of two-by-fours on your, on your shoulder heading over to the Temple Mount to get the job done. Now, our government is concerned that it might not be so uh, uh, well politically received to do that. You know, there might be a couple angry uh, Muslims. Does the Rambam mention that you don't rebuild the temple because there's angry Muslims? I didn't notice that little phrase there. You know, who's who, who's running this place? You understand? Like, so, yeah. 
But what about pikuach nefesh? If you're going to destroy the, the Maestad war and you want to save all the Jews? First of all, all of this should have been done a long time ago when the war was going on. We had our second chance in 67. We blew that chance. And uh, that was the big chance, was 67, when all the Arabs ran. And Arabs know war. War is you, you either win and you kill the other side, or you lose and you get killed. Except they were fighting the Jews. And when the Jews win, they, they say, oh, come on back and come back to your homes and let's all be friends and, like, <laughs> let us build schools for you and hostels for you. And, and like, you know, they, they didn't realize what war with us it was like. So they actually emptied the place. The place was empty. And, uh, and the, the government said, come on back. And, and we've been going through hell ever since. And it would have been totally understood by the world. Now, today, it's a much bigger deal. So it's a much bigger deal to, to just go rebuild the place. Anyway, that's one example. But there's another major example, and there's just another one that's just obvious, is that with everything I just described of the leadership of Israel, and obviously, you know, we're, we're Jewish people are a tribe that, that does have certain values, and, and do believe in a creator and do believe in the prophecies and we believe in all the stuff that the state doesn't believe in so you would think that if we were having elections that every Jew every Jewish male with a yarmulke on his head and every Jewish female who's you know at least covering some of her body would be in absolute unanimity in, in who to vote for such that Torah would have some kind of traction in this country. That would be like the most obvious thing in the world. You know, that would be, that would make sense, right? I mean, don't, don't we all have that in common? Such that if there was an election, there would be for sure one candidate with his constituents, and there would be a unanimous vote amongst all Sephardic Jews, all Yemenite Jews, all, all Persian Jews, all... Ashkenazi Jews, all Hasidic Jews, all Lithuanian Jews, a, a full-on agreement amongst all the Moroccan Jews. But what we see is the exact opposite: is that is that the the vote's torn to pieces because because everyone's looking for their slice of the pie, and we are we are. I don't even want to say these words, but we're we're basically the same as the seculars when it comes to when it comes to unity. And our allegiance to Torah seems to make zero difference. Our allegiance to the prophecies, our allegiance to God, our value system makes a no difference when it comes to this. And this is real, real slicing of the pie of, of Israeli tax dollars that are not going to hit everybody who thinks Judaism is important. They're just not going hit, to hit the, the important matters of our country. So, anyway, those are a couple of examples of how broken we are on the local or immediate version, but when we, when we look into our three times a day prayer, I think that we will also get that, get that feeling. Um, I'm going to switch straight to, uh, well, I'll do it really quickly, it's just the, uh, the Magena vote is, uh, is just talking about our forefathers and and that our forefathers are the are the archetype for behavior and 
Abraham's for kindness and Isaac Yitzchak is for discipline and and Yaakov is for kedusha and Torah and stuff like that. Okay, this these archetypes are just you know like we're, we're, even us people in this room are like we're like stretching to to somehow like meaning of like I don't know if Jacob were up there with Esav in heaven and they were both deciding like who was they were going through all of us in this room and they were like trying to decide who was whose is whose grandchild. Meaning, are you Asa's grandchild or are you Jacob's grandchild? And they're, they're just going through the mix, like, t- to see who. And now, you hope they kept the snapshot while you're in class right now. And you hope they don't check the snapshot. Maybe in some other situations you can get in during the week. Or when you're out of Israel-like situations you can be in. But we can all be in full-on Asa's situations. Now, it's not that simple, obviously. Meaning, uh, if, I, if I'm mountain biking, you know, and I'm, like, racing down the mountains and all the muscles are flexing and I'm, like, you know, just, you know, slamming my bike down, down these hills of Jerusalem, the, uh, I mean, obviously, Asa's going to be like, that one's mine. And Jacob's going to be like, he's actually mine, but he's a bit of a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Asa's like, he's mine. He's mine. I mean, they would have a tug of war over me, you know, because I'm I'm kind of doing everything together. But uh, but a lot of us would have found ourselves in, you know, in Asaph's court a lot of the time, and uh, and so that's the beginning. That's the first of the blessings is that allegiance. Um, this the second one has to do with uh, with fixing things. So it talks about. Um, it talks about uh, uh, resuscitation of the dead. I mean, that'd be nice for, uh, for those who've lost loved ones, which is all of us. Um, supports the fallen, right? There's, there's people here who are in a fallen state, and we at least know people in a fallen state. Heals the sick. Yeah, there's hospitals filled with people right now, and people dealing with all kinds of illness. Releases the confined. There are people in both literal confinement all the way to just, you know, constricted consciousness. There's, um, whatever. And then the last one is the sanctity of God, which is, uh, you are holy, your name is holy, and the holy ones praise you every day, is are we really in our holy state? Like, are we really experiencing holiness? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, we're experiencing holiness in as much as we're dedicated to holiness. And no, um, we're missing huge amounts of what it takes to even be holy because just for example, we don't have the red heifer that purifies the Kohen that we can actually do the stuff that, that, um, that purifies us. Meaning like, let's just say you blow it on Shabbos and you made a mistake on Shabbos, just a mistake. I know no one here would ever break Shabbos purposely, but if you accidentally broke Shabbos, so you're not so well right now. And therefore you head to Jerusalem. Like, like uh, let's just say someone blew it on Shabbos. I don't know what they did. They, uh, what did they do? They, they poured hot water over leaves to make a tea. And wound up cooking the leaves. And there was this... Uh, I blew it. Like, I, I just poured hot water over leaves. I just cooked cooked myself up tea. Now, obviously, they can't drink that tea. Um, so they're, the tea's out. 
But they also will have to get to Jerusalem, preferably as soon as possible, and they actually bring a sheep to the temple and slaughter the sheep. Can you imagine if you had to slaughter a sheep every time you blew it on Shabbos? You know, it's like... And by the way, no one was blowing it on purpose. No, there was no such thing as blowing it on purpose because, I mean, that was just such a huge deal that no one did anything on purpose on Shabbos. It was only accidental, and if someone did something accidentally, they would, they would just bring a sheep. Anyway, we're missing that holiness. The next is, um, the next is for wisdom. Um, I know a lot of you came to this class to hear rabbis speak or to hear me speak, but I go to someone else, and when I'm in his presence, I'm I'm kind of it's a bit humiliating to call myself a rabbi when I'm with him because because the the differential between his Torah and my Torah are the difference between a Jew and a Gentile and and whenever he talks about his Rebbe you sense the humiliation that he's currently called the Rebbe because if we had any idea who his Rebbe was it would be the distinction between a Jew and a Gentile. And his Rebbe felt the same way, and his Rebbe felt the same way, and his Rebbe felt the same way, and his Rebbe. So the first thing we're asking God for, which are these, this is a whole list of God's kind of goals. These are God's goals that we ask three times a day. The first thing we're asking for is to get our heads on straight. We just need to get our heads on straight. And, uh, and, Oh my gosh, we sh- there's so many times we're supposed to ask questions when we don't, especially interpersonal stuff. And just this, this last two weeks, I witnessed a family crisis that was so much toxicity. Toxicity? 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 No. No one knows for sure. Toxicity? Toxicity. So much toxicity that people are hurt probably forever. In, in a lot of the emails, multiple people are hurt probably forever. They'll probably never get over it. Now, had, had I been more involved at the beginning, I would have noticed that it was in three weeks. So I noticed every three weeks this stuff comes up in different homes, in different families where things get like, things get toxic. And all of us carry something uh, that uh, Eckhart Tolle calls a pain body in uh, the possible use seminars are, I call it the inner negative uh, sorry the, the uh, new it's called the misery comfort zone but all of us carry a certain amount of pain inside of us and it feeds off other people's pain and, and during the three weeks we're in the height of our pain and our pain can gather together with other people's pain and we can create a drama that that is so toxic that the that all kinds of people get hurt irreparably so and and therefore it's really important during the three weeks is to is to uh, keep it light until after the three weeks if if it's really such a big issue that needs handling let it be handled after the three weeks but don't don't go into don't go into a major dramatic adventure with loved ones during the three weeks. That's that's just not a good idea because everyone's pain bodies, 
are at their height and pain bodies feed off other people's pain bodies and uh, you'll notice if you're in a grouchy mood you'll find someone grouchy to have a gripe with and you'll both like you'll just love being angry at each other for a moment it could be a total stranger by the way you'll like magnetically find a grouch in your most grouchy state and that grouch found you and and you're both going to perfectly feed off each other and like who knows what you know road rage or something you know and the anyway but this particular crash and burn drama that happened this last two weeks and it literally was from the day that three weeks started um, had, had they asked a rabbi one question one question had they just sought the insight of a rabbi not me but I didn't have the I, I, I was privy to the situation but I, I didn't have the insight they needed All they, they needed someone big and had they just gone one big rabbi and by the way in the end someone did go to a big rabbi and in one line the whole thing was over but all the hurt is in. The hurt's done. Like, and there's, and I know the nature of the hurt. It's kind of the kind of hurt that an apology is not going to mean anything. You know what I'm talking about? Like, where someone said things, someone said something that you know is like a real gut anger of, of, at that person, and you could apologize for saying it, but you're never going to get out of the fact that they now know how you feel. So what's the point already? You know, what's the point of apologizing? It's just going to reopen things. So it's better just to leave it at, at just, you know, pure, um, you know, just anger. Anyway, so that's insight. And all of us need to ask more. We just got to ask. Don't make your own mistakes in life. You know, speak to someone who's answered this question a hundred times. And you may think your question's unique. But the same people who are really good at answering questions from from past cases, they also generally have killer instincts for fresh cases. And so and they also have fresh eyes. And they're also quite wise. And they're also dedicated to God. And also God knows that you put it up to them. So they're now gonna have Siata Dishmaya, you know, the term Siata Dishmaya means divine assistance. Because think about it, if you put it up to them, the question now, God's going to send them the answer because you're you're kind of put it over, you put it in His court, and He doesn't know what to do. But His instincts are going to kick in from, straight from God for the right answer. So that's the first thing we, is insight. Second one's pretty obvious. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that, and that's teshuva. That that all of us have to do teshuva. And if some of you think you're fully observant, can I remind you that the garments of your soul are thought, speech, and action. So, like, you may have, actu- have your actions worked out. I'm not sure you have your speech worked out. You may have your speech worked out. I'm not sure your thoughts are worked out. So, you understand, those are the garments that you wear in this world. Those garments, uh, this is a different class, I'm not going to go into it, but you send up your garments every night that you go to sleep, which is a good reason to do teshuva on your bed, bed, at your bedside, like, sit on your bed and, like, and do the four steps of shuva, which are stop, say, regret, commit, stop what you're doing, which <coughs> probably if you're already sitting on the edge of your bed, you stopped. Um, say what you did to God. Regret what you did. What, what does regret mean? If I had the clarity then that I do now, I would never have done it. That's regret. If I had the clarity then 
that I do now, I wouldn't have done it. That's regret. And then commit. And just, I'm never going there again. Now, you may go there again 24 hours later. But the, the likelihood of you not going there, having done those four steps, is much higher than ignoring those four steps. Now, when we go to sleep at night, we send the garments of our soul up. And our soul's garments go up. And have a little judgment upstairs while we're sleeping. And so it's a good idea to, to clean off your thought, speech, and action. It's also a good idea to keep your thought, speech, and action pretty clean during the day so that you don't have to do this whole process you know, in any major way. You know, keep, yourself, keep yourself pretty clean. Anyway, that's uh, tshuva. And, um, and just one more thing about tshuva is, is that is that your clarity of purpose, your clarity in your life is going to be much stronger if you're clean with God. You want to be clean with God. And, and if you're having trouble being clean with God, you need better peers. And if you don't live amongst good peers, so then you have to put something on a scale. The price of having good peers versus the price of not having good peers. So, meaning your soul's eternal. And, you know, I meet people who are like, what do you want from me, man? I'm at University of Arizona. You know, where is that? In Phoenix or something? In Phoenix, Arizona, like, I'm like the only person I know who even believes in God. You know, and, and I'm in the middle of the university. Like, what do you want from me? And the answer is, put it on a scale. Your soul's eternal. Your body's in Phoenix. You know, you're in the wrong peer group. What would it take for you to be in Phoenix and be good? How could you be in Phoenix, Arizona, and be good at the same time? <laughs> the answer is, well, I'd have to be in a very good environment for a period of time till I get enough strength to be in Phoenix. Well, how long would that period be? I suppose probably a year. A year of the right environment. I think I could probably keep Shabbat in Phoenix, Arizona and keep kosher. Yeah, I'd say a year. Okay, well, go to the registrar's office and tell him you want to defer a year. But then I'm going to graduate when I'm 23. So what? Your soul's eternal. Graduate when you're 23. Keep your soul alive. And keep, keep that soul, keep yourself alive. And, and just put yourself in an amazing environment for a year and then go back finish your degree or transfer to New York East Coast colleges have observant people in them and they and you, you can be in a, a somewhat kosher environment in the East Coast college okay that's enough about you uh, the next one is forgiveness that one's too scary so I don't want to talk about that much just because how are we ever supposed to ask forgiveness I mean they, you know when you did something to somebody so then you can ask forgiveness but how, how often do you even know? How often do you know? And how do we even know the impact of our, the things we're saying at a Shabbos table? I mean, you just never know. And, and very few people have the courage to pull you over and let you know. You know, I was, I was at... Do you need to know? What? Do you need to know the possibility <laughs> That's another good point. Maybe not. Maybe just ask forgiveness. Like, okay. God, forgive me for all the people I've wronged and hurt and... Yeah, you can, you can. Well, we ask forgiveness. 
uh, every night in Shema, but to ask forgiveness, may they all forgive me. In Rabbanu Shalom, we ask them for forgiveness too, don't we? Do we ask that they should forgive us? No, we are Moichel. We forgive them, yeah. Yeah, you better hope everyone's doing Yom Kippur Khan. There is a line on Yom Kippur, actually, that I forgive everybody. That Sorry, that everyone should forgive me. I think there's a line that, that wherever they are, they should forgive me. Whatever, the point is, is that there's all this hidden lack of forgiveness. And we never know. I gave it of our Torah at a Shabbos table in... in a, what happens is I'll do a Shabbaton and I'll do like a big dinner and then all the donors will, who donated the, you know, the guest, the lec- scholar in residence will like have a lunch together where the rabbi's there. So they asked me to give it to Vartar. I give it to Vartar and I perfectly offended everybody horribly. And I just couldn't, and when they told, thank God someone pulled me over and told me like, the next day, which made me just feel terrible. On Sunday, someone like said, "By the way, uh, guess what happened at lunch?" And there, there was just no way I could have known this. But this particular city and this particular group of people had a unique situation take place, and they all got badly hurt there. In that situation, they were all kind of injured people, and and somehow the, that week's parsha in might of our Torah was like salt in the wound. Right there, and that's that's what I that was my Devar Torah at their meal, and it's like, <laughs> and and I was like, do I ask them all for forgiveness? And she's like, the lady was just like, no, like you know, just leave it, you know, it'll just be another, another you know, mark on your soul, you know, for having hurt all these people during lunch. But it was seriously like, how, how, what are we supposed to do? You know, just put duct tape on our mouths, you know, and just hide it's so easy to inadvertently hurt somebody um, that's uh, uh, forgiveness uh, the next is redemption and uh, hey what's up table for two you guys want to quickly jostle yourselves so they can sit together guess not okay <laughs> what's up guys welcome where are you from? You look like you're from Miami or something. Michigan. Where'd you get that tan, man? I actually met you three years ago. You're a great with the guitar. <laughs> That's why you're here, probably. You're an encore performance. Yeah, an encore. Sorry, I don't have no guitar right now. Even if I did, it's the the morning, the temple. So. Yeah, my fingers are ready to play guitar. You know the world of outreach has changed because I used to play all three weeks, nine days. I, I played the entire time. I think well, it's almost like I could count more days I played during the three weeks for secular groups because you play for them. If you if you have a secular group, that the difference is going to be the joy of a concert, you know, with Jewish a Jewish concert, then you know you play all the way till all the way till Tisha B'av. You don't play on Tisha B'av, but there are those who would even play on Tisha B'av. I personally wouldn't, and the. Um, I haven't played during the three weeks in like in like ten years now, because you know that was about the heyday of outreach ended in like two thousand eight, and so and I haven't like held a guitar during the three weeks in 
not ten years, but years. It's been years. Like I know a lot of people want to like pretend the cure movement still where it was, and uh, but it's like that's a that's a serious marker. If these fingers haven't hit the fretboard, you know, during the three weeks of mourning the temple, so you know times have changed. By the way, people are still becoming observant. They're just not wearing backpacks. You know, like, why would you put on a backpack and travel across the world when you can just go to Google? And ask every question, get every counter argument, like it's all there, you know. So there's, I, I'm not sure less people are becoming observant. I think it's less because there's not that wave of excitement and stuff. So it's, it is less because there's no wave. It's all individuals, but many individuals are becoming observant today through the internet, you know, because all the research is there. Everything we ever taught is online, and and, uh, and you have all their counter arguments are right there, and you can hear. Uh, believer speak, and now you can go hear an atheist speak, and you can make your make your you know place your bets. So, um, anyway, the next is for the next is for uh, sorry, the next was for redemption, and and that is like is how many of us really care? I mean, do you really want redemption? First of all, there'll be no reward for good choices. When when the Jewish people will be redeemed, it'll be so open, the miracles will be so open that you can't really get reward for good choices, which kind of, in a way, it, um, it kind of neutralizes what you're doing here. I mean, for you to do the right thing now is, like, very meaningful. If you to do the right thing when everything's, like, you know, all the lights got turned on and it's, like... Clear, God's right in your face, you know, and the, God's presence is like coursing through your veins. Doing the right thing is kind of a joke. You understand? It's like a, it's like it's like not cutting off your own toe. Like you, you don't get reward for that. No one wants to cut off their toe. So, do we really want redemption? And if the answer is yes, I mean, do you guys really want redemption? Yeah. Yeah. Who said yeah? You said yeah. Why do you want it? Because there'll be no more pain. <laughs> There'll be no more pain. That's beautiful. Why else? Okay, yeah. Like, you may be doing it and getting all the reward. There's there's millions of people out there who are, who are you know, they're just not even on the right page. Even if they're not on the right page, if they do it once, it's redeemed. They, there's no purpose for them doing it. <laughs> so... It's 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 going to be very different when redemption comes. Things will be very different, and and the um, but it's going to be super cool, and it's going to be super holy. And I mean, I think all of us have experienced this. If you ever been, not all of you, obviously the sem girls in the back haven't experienced this, but and you shouldn't experience this at least until temple times. But uh, anyone who's been to like a major rock concert, if you've been to a major rock concert, like I'm talking like thirty thousand people at like a rave or something where it's it should be fairly techno, and there's a beat that's playing, and everybody's moving to the exact same vibrational energy there. You know what I'm talking about? It's undeniably powerful, and, and you don't want it to end. It's just like, like it's, you, you don't want it to end. There's a unity, there's a clarity, there's a, there's a, a knowing that there's an, there's an ineffability, meaning there's a words can't describe it, I, in fact, even what I'm saying probably means very little to the sem girls in the back, but 
there are certain people in the room nodding and smiling. And but they can't explain it. They just know it. It's just it's it's one of those things that's it's called noetic, where there's a knowledge of it that you can't describe. And and these things exist out there. They usually don't have machitzas. And uh, that's a divider between the men and the women. You know, which is a shame because I think the Jewish world could use a couple experiences like this. I think it would be really good for us. Uh, we do have our experience, but the, but only the Hasidim generally get that experience. And, the, and uh, that's Lag Barimer by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We do have this vibrational day with, you know, tens of thousands of people. It's really, it's really close to three quarters of a million people. I think it's actually the biggest party on earth. The last I checked, there's no party bigger than it. But uh, but it's because it's spread out all over. I mean, the, I think the biggest dance floor holds like, I think holds like maybe 20,000 people at once, which is still a lot of people. And the, and the vibe's pretty pretty intense there. Anyone here got to go experience the vibrations of uh, Lag Boma this year? You got You guys got it? Yeah, did you get into the vibes? Did you get it? Not everyone gets it. Some people are there and they're just like, oh man, like, one more person steps on my foot. I'll go kill somebody. Yeah, forced into the vibes. Forced into the vibes. But did you ever catch it? The vibe? I didn't. You didn't? I did in Yom Yerushalayim in the cold. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool, yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. <gasps> okay, now, um, anyway, but even though we'll lose free will, the vibrations are going to be really something special. Really, really special, and it's worth it. It's very worth it, and um, and I like what this nice lady said about ending up suffering because that's if you're not suffering, so then maybe it's better you get the reward. But that mil- but but billions of people are suffering, and wouldn't it be good if they weren't, even if it meant you don't get as much reward? That'd be that'd be nice. Yeah. But negating free will. Right. So, 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 f- I know what you're saying. Someone else mentioned that too. Free will isn't what we're actually. Free will is what you're doing here, but it's not what God created the world for. God created the world for connection. God created the world for connection. You were brought here for your own little video game of free will. So on an individual level, you have your free will, and you got this like kind of scorecard. You you know you in um, in the U.S. they have these exams called um, Scantron Scantron exams. It's multiple guess. You know what I'm talking about? These multiple guess exams. I know you call them multiple choice, but I call them multiple guess. And the it's a multiple guess exam, and you take this lead number two pencil and fill in the little bubbles. So, life is just, oh, this is just a way to, for the U.S. to save money on people grading your tests. They just feed it into a computer, which holds the key to the proper answers, whatever. You know, for those people from America, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, that's what it is. So, life is this really, really long scantron sheet. And you're making choices all the time. And you've got to fill in the right bubbles before it goes into the machine, which is when we die. When we die, then your sheet goes in to see what the right answers were for all the choices that you made in life. And uh, I'll just have you know that, just so everyone, it should just be said, 
that the thing that is the hardest for you is the one you came here for. <laughs> the thing that's hardest for you is why you're here. A lot of us, the one that's hardest for us is exactly the one we don't do. And we're like, God would, God would understand. God would understand. Some girl told me that God would understand that she must only wear pants. Yeah. She must only wear pants. And, uh, and they, because, I don't know what her whole scene was, but she, she, she had an issue with skirts. Okay, whatever. But God, God would understand. But we don't know if God put us here for that. And we actually do know that probably your biggest test is that. And where do we know this from? Where do we learn this from? Abraham. What? From Abraham. Okay, Abraham. I mean, that, that's an extreme uh, archetype of the ultimate ultimate sacrifice is his son Isaac. You know. What else? Where else do we know this from? So I'm going to tell you where we know it from. Most people don't know this. It's an amazing thing. Uh, what do we say right after Shema Yisrael? We say, V'ahavta es Hashem Elokecha You shall love God with all your heart and all your soul. And what's the last one? Now that should raise a red flag. The word modecha. Why? Because ma'od is a, is a, it means a lot, but it's a, um, it's an adjective. Yeah, ma'od means more. Or very. Uh, it means very. It means very. Like, if, if someone asked, what did you think of it? You might say it was tov, but if it was very tov, it was very good, you'd say tov ma'od. So it means very. And uh, I think there's even another grammatical term for an adjective, like the word very. Does anyone know the term for the word very? It's got a... It's, uh, it's not just an adjective. It's got another special term in grammar. I forget. But um, asking the wrong crowd. Sometimes when I see this many people sitting, I'm thinking, like, I get all my answers here. Like, like, does anyone have a battery pack to charge my phone? Charging on the phone. No, I, I know. I'm even <laughs> Oh, she has one right there. So I, just, I love numbers because there's always... You should know this, by the way. Anything you ever need, if there are like 50 people around, just just call it out. Because 50 people, someone's probably got it. You know, anyone have a credit card? <laughs> <laughs> Try that when you get to the checkout stand. So the... Um, Anyway, how do you love God with your very? And you'll see that, like, the, the art scroll sitter, like this sitter will say, with, it'll say your resources, but it does not mean that. The word mo does not mean resources. You know, I promise you, you go to Hebrew Olpan, they're never, no one's going to tell you resources is the word ma'od. And then they add the echa, me'odecha. Love God with all your mode. So what do you think that ma'od is? Love God. How do you love God with all your very? <laughs> so you know what the answer is? It's loving God with, with whatever you very, very, very much don't want to do for God. That's your very. It's like exactly the place where you draw your red line. It's meaning where you draw the line with God. That's your very. And different people have different varies. You know, some people have it. Well, I don't even want to mention it so people don't feel bad if they... I shouldn't have mentioned pants earlier also, but I rarely do such a thing. But the... the, the um, Whatever is the very, 
that we likely are saying to ourselves that God would understand this because he knows how hard this is for me. And meanwhile, no, the whole point of your life here is surrender. You're only here to surrender. I mean, anyone notice that at the end of your life you have to surrender everything? Like everything? The car, the house. I mean, you have to surrender your loved ones. You know, when all of us think about the pain of the Holocaust, most of it is the surrender that we hate. And yet all of us are heading straight, like we're, on a com- we're all in a conveyor belt that's literally going to dump our bodies into the ground and our souls will go up and we're going to lose every single thing we have. And everyone knows here, like you lose something during the day, you know, you, God forbid you lose your headphones or you, know, you lose your watch, something disappears, it's a different day, You're like it's a hard day, you know, the, the sunglasses are gone. And you, you just and you know they're really gone because you got off a bus, and they're just on that bus, and the bus just drove off, and it's you, the rest of your day is marked by that. And meanwhile, every single one of us are going to lose every single thing we have. Now, for some of you young people who like you all look like question marks to me right now, because think about it, your feet are on the ground, then your body goes up to your you know to your backside. And then you're back, and then you know you're all sitting there like you all look like question marks. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? What can, what am I? You know, how well will we do financially? What's my what's the health of my overall life going to be? How many kids am I going to have? You know what I'm saying? It was like question mark after question mark after question. Mark. What's going to be my career? You know, you're like you're all a bunch of question marks. And you know what's going to happen throughout your mid to late twenties, like beginning twenties to late twenties is you're going to turn every one of those, your, all your question marks are going to go to, go to, they're all going to go to chiropractors. Not that I believe in chiropractic, but you, they're all going to go to chiropractors. And they're all going to become these very straight, what? Exclamation, Exclamation points. This is who I married, and this is my career, and this is my car, and this is my city, and this is my neighbor, and this is my house, and this is my sunglasses, and this is my watch, and this is my, you know, like, this is it. And then there's people who meet, who reach, um, who reach, uh, uh, what's your name? Earl. Earl's age. And then you reach Earl's age, and all of a sudden all your exclamation points start like. <laughs> You're kind of looking at your wife going like, who the hell are you? You know, and, and you're looking at your car and you're like, this is what I've been driving uh, or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People turn 50 in, and I'll tell you, Harley Davidsons are safer than affairs. So, at that point, you buy a Harley or something. And the, um, you buy a Harley yet, Earl? Not yet. No. Not yet. Don't buy a Harley. That's dangerous. <laughs> Both are dangerous. <laughs> yeah, so, Anyway, this is, by the way, this to me is one of the best reasons, I mean, it's not the true reason, but one of the best reasons to become fully observant as a Jew while you're young. Because it is so painful, so painful to hit your 40s and 50s and have all your exclamation points become question marks. I mean, it is really hard. It's hard times. It's an existential uh, crisis that I know when you're young, you think, well, okay, I'll deal with that when it comes. But no, if you have any way to prevent it, I promise you prevent it. You should prevent it. 
And and what's amazing is that that Torah doesn't necessarily save you from it um, entirely, but because your value system is so eternal and so like committed, and it's so like Shabbos will just get you through it, you know. Um, uh, being part of the observant community will get you through it. The fact that you still pray three times a day with those same old guys. You know, it'll just, you can ride through that period of time. You're not just some island. You know, you're not this, this isolated life experiment of choices made years ago that has, where everything's turned into question marks again. You understand? You're, you're part of something so much bigger and so much more solid that, that you are, you're really doing great. But, by the way, all of this life, life uh, what do we call it? What? Midlife crisis, sorry. All that midlife crisis was parenthetical to our discussion because all of our exclamation points are going right off a conveyor belt at the end of our lives. Because I know it looks like you're the one getting taken away, but really everything's getting taken away from you if you think about your own perspective. You know, when you die, it looks like, right, when we know someone's dying, we feel like they're being taken away. But what do you think they're feeling? Right, they're feeling everything they've everything they've chosen, everything they loved, everything that was important to them. At least in the physical world, but it's being removed. Like it's literally getting taken out from under you. The carpet is going to get ripped out from all of us, from out from under all of us. This is why you'll notice that great people in, uh, like, let's say, uh, some random nineteenth uh, century. Early 19th century art and literature. You know, the, the, the classics, like the best. The best of them all. So if you go to the best, let's say, uh, the best writers of early 19th century, which are really some fabulous, fabulous authors. Um, you know, the 1800s was just in, in, literary, in Europe's literary tradition. It's like some of the best writing. And you get sentences that are paragraph long. And it's the biggest adventure, that one sentence, that you're just, you're touched and you're moved forever, having read that sentence that was like literally this long, a paragraph this long, single space. And, I mean, it's just amazing stuff. But when you go into the biographies of every single artist, every single musician, every single composer, every single uh, author... When you go into their biographies, there's always a brush with death. There's always a brush with death. Check it out. Go read the biographies of the, all the greats. There's always a brush with death. Either a sibling died, a parent died, they themselves almost died, someone died. And they saw the end of the conveyor belt right in their face when they were kids. And so they put on their running shoes as kids. They got busy as kids. They didn't, they didn't have this giant kind of nebulous Bump, bump buffer zone where like you get to pretend like nothing's important you know something that this is a luxury that our society has afforded you is to not know what the hell you're doing for 10 years meaning somehow between like 15 and 25 you have this grace period where you get to say yeah I'm a total screw off and, and isn't that neat and everyone's just like enjoy the years you know you know, enjoy it. You know, but but uh, you you want you want a lame life? Blow ten years off. You know, 
what makes you think that blowing off 10 years of your life is going to make a good life for you afterwards? You, you, you need those years. Those got to be solid years. But, but in, for example, in the secular world, from 18 to 22, you are completely and utterly off the hook. But many of them let you off the hook even after that for a while because you're not sure what you're doing yet. And the people you're meeting also were not sure when they were your age, and so you're still kind of off the hook. And sadly, many people get to their 30s. You're not off the hook anymore. People want to, people want, you got to be able to show something at that point. And so, but it gets exponentially harder to show something for yourself if you've been blowing off the previous years. It gets exponentially harder to pick yourself up then. And therefore, taking a 10 year vacation is never a good idea. I personally, I can't even take a three day vacation. I can take three days, but that's my max. Like I, I basically, if, if my wife and I go on vacation and I see it's gonna be more than three days, on the fourth day, I'll schedule a class. I don't care if I have to teach a bunch of Buddhists in India, but I gotta give something by the fourth day. I can't sit around and sunbathe for more than like three days. You know, I'm all talked out. You know, my wife and I are like, we're like in heaven, everything's great, day four, like I've got to contribute something to this planet at that point, and and yet uh, many people have been given off years where contribution is 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 not even considered a really a very high value during those years, and you you don't have to contribute anything to society. You get to you get to be in this kind of sponge mode, which is cute and sweet, but it's uh, you know the, the the yeshiva community also lets you sponge for a while. But, uh, but there's a lot of men, I meet a lot of men who learned in COLA. They got married, they learned in COLA. Uh, but I met a lot of men who are 25 years old and in the observant community, and they really don't know their contribution is because they've been riding the yeshiva wave for years and years, and it's gotten too late for them. And they're, and they're also under-trained, under-trained in the professional world, so now they're gonna have to hustle. And that's why you meet so many Haredi black hat Jews in New York, New Jersey, and other areas are hustlers. By the way, they're great guys. When I say hustle, I don't mean meaning they, whatever they have, they own warehouses or they're you know they're doing property management or they're they're building or they're, they're doing great stuff. But it's uh, but it's almost always you know hustling. Now, um, the next is, uh, is healing. Next step is healing, refua. And, um, and I, I don't think I need to discuss that much, but, the, but obviously there's a lot of people who could use a, a healing and, uh, and we could be much more sensitive to them. There's probably people we should be visiting. Uh, there's probably sick people we should be helping. I got to pick up all of a lady's stuff today. A lady walking with a cane dropped all her stuff. And it was just kind of a yard sale. And, and I got to be the closest one to the situation and do something for some lady who cannot bend down. And, uh, and 
we, but there's people out there that we know that are ailing, and uh, they they need phone calls, need support, they need a visit, um, and they and and many of them need to be healed, and and we can help them in some way or another. And there's also there's no physical ailment that doesn't have some kind of a psycho emotional component, and uh, a lot of us have work to do on that. Um, you know, for some people in this room, they probably think it's normal to catch a cold once in a while. You know, right? Raise your hand if you consider that normal to catch a cold once in a while. Not a big deal. Okay, so almost everybody. Yeah. But it's not normal. <laughs> you never have to catch a cold, ever. You just don't... I mean, okay, once a year. Like, once a year, you can maybe catch a cold. Uh, prescription medication a couple times a year is normal no one's raising their hands now after getting busted on the last one no it's not normal you don't you you shouldn't if you're having prescription medication more than once a year I suppose twice a year I don't know what the numbers should be but you gotta work out your stuff because because these are especially at your age you should be just a lean, mean fight machine. You know, you're, you're just, you should be so invincible. Your immune system should be, you know, really at its height right now, especially at your ages. But it should stay that way well into, well into your 50s. I mean, you should basically forget your doctor's name. And, and like, you don't even know where your medical card is after a while. I'm really, really super fit. I just saw what time it is. We're, I'm way over time. What's going on here? Um, one more class. What is it? It's uh, Soul Part 2, and that's the end of the Who's teaching that? You are. I'm sorry. I just looked at the clock. Oh, my gosh. Um, shalom, everybody. Um, the, the, rest, the rest of the requests, you'll just notice if you go into the rest of the requests that we request every day in our silent meditations, You'll see that we're, we're, we're deeply wanting on all every single one of them. And as much as we're usually in a holding in a very nice space in this class, um, this week is discussing where we're broken. And if you look into each one of these, you'll see we're just like totally shattered <coughs> one after the other. And, uh, and we got a lot, we got a lot, we got to fix. Please God, may we fix it soon in our days. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.